Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. This episode is sponsored by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, offering precision-engineered controls. This episode is sponsored by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. If you're anything like me and you're just not a neurosurgeon with a steady hand, you probably neglect what's below the belt. Luckily, Manscaped has us covered. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created, and just released a new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. Millions of balls are about to be nick free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin safe technology. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. And when I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. One of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a rapid charging dock powered by USB. If you are listening to me speak right now, you are one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product, and I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Get 20% off and free shipping when you use the promo code THPN, let me repeat, THPN, at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Hey, y'all. Welcome to another episode of the Grit for 60 podcast. Let's just call it what it is. This is probably going to be Connor Hellebuck edition uh, 3,580, whatever, you know. It is what it is. Uh, my name's Connor Farrell. You can call me TC. I am joined from across the house by my brother. Hey, everyone. Uh, I'm Brendan, also known as TCJ. And we are also joined by a special guest today. I don't know where he is recording from. Uh, Toronto, the center of the hockey universe. Well, as as a resident of Jacksonville, Florida, I'm going to have to disagree. <laughs> uh, I'm just you, guys, you guys are number two. Oh, yeah. You know. The hockey hub that is Jacksonville, Florida. Um, awesome. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, go ahead and introduce, so, introduce you know yourself, what? guest. Uh, yeah, uh, my name is my name is Jack. I go by JFresh on uh, on Twitter. Uh, I do hockey analytics stuff, uh, a lot of visualizations, a lot of ways to make data that can be pretty boring, at least a little pretty to look at, and hopefully explain some things. Uh, been getting into a lot more writing and stuff about hockey, which has led me to uh, a lot of arguments with people about awards and sure talk about it. Uh, and I, I think I agree with you guys on on a lot of the stuff that we're going to be talking about. 
particularly around Connor Halbach. So just got to get going to that. Yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with our podcast at all. I know a lot of our guests aren't. Um, but the way this has gone for this season since we started um, following the Jets, pretty much every episode is the offense was okay. Um, that goal was really pretty. Uh, defense was terrible. And Connor Hellebuck is here to save the day. That's, I mean, as much as we try to come up with new and original things to talk about, that is pretty much every episode, at least up until shutdown. Um, so it, it yeah, sounds like I, that's... I can't say I'm going to change that. It's going to be more of the same. I really hope your listeners like hearing about Connor Hellebuck because that's pretty <laughs> what much else, what I'm going to talk about as well. I mean, what else do they got? Not uh, they, they can score. They, I mean, you know, you might want to call it luck. Usually shooting typically comes down to luck quite a bit. But, you know, they can put the puck in the net at a decent clip. And they have a pretty good power play, if I'm remembering correctly. So, yeah, there are, there are some things that they can do. But most of the things that they can do is have Connor Halibut. Yeah, so... Speaking of Connor Hell, like I think we'll, we'll get the we'll get the easy stuff out of the way. Um, how do you view the the Vez, the sorry the Vezina Trophy race? Uh, I I think it's pretty open and shut. I mean, I, I as somebody who doesn't watch too many Winnipeg Jets games, you know, I, I'm a diehard Penguins fan, so I haven't exactly been blessed by watching great goalie performances all season. What I pretty much have to go on is the stats and especially uh, the kind of new generation of uh, goalie stats that hold team defense constant, which is something that's very important. If you're talking about a goalie like Hellebuck who plays behind, you know, not exactly the most strict defense in the entire league <laughs> and uh, pretty much all these models, you know, there's a lot of different ways that people have found to kind of try to keep that team defense from influencing the stats. Uh, the new kind of save percentage above expected and goals saved above expected is the best example. There's a couple models out there, you know, sometimes they disagree with each other about certain goalies, but Hellebuck is a guy who is pretty much universally beloved by all of them. Uh, so he, he finishes kind of first in goal saved above expected over the course of the whole season in all three of them. Uh, he's, he's either one or, or two in save percentage above expected across the three of them uh, uh, with, with Tuka Rask being the other guy who's in that conversation. But I think when it really comes down to it in terms of the Vezina, even if he wasn't maybe minute per minute the best goalie in the league, you know, we, we could talk about Tuukka being kind of in that conversation. The fact that he played the most games of any goalie in the NHL and was able to keep up that performance, especially considering just the sheer volume of work that he had to do, you know, compared to a guy like Tuukka Rask on a night-to-night basis, being able to keep up that performance and actually excelling in March at the end of the season was actually his second best month of the whole season. And he obviously only got to play about half of it. So I think that speaks pretty well to his level of endurance and also just the way that he's been able to keep on going despite the challenges this team's faced. So for me, it's really not that close uh, in terms of the Vezina. Where things get more interesting is the Hart Trophy conversation, which is a whole other thing that we could talk about. But yeah, yeah hell of a look for sure. You, brought, you mentioned the Hart Trophy. This is so we, we like to knock out. Can we get your endorsement for the Vezina? It sounds like we've got that. Can we get your endorsement for uh, Connor Hellbutt to win the Hart Trophy? Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I, I'm not usually a guy who kind of goes to the goalie well for 
for the Hart Trophy just because I think that when you really get down to it, it's one of those things where obviously the goalie is kind of the most important position on the ice in terms of the way that it can change a team's fortunes. So once you kind of add goaltending into the mix, I think that there's a whole bunch of weird paths that you can go down. But I think this year is one where you can pretty clearly say that the Jets team's success this year, you know, I guess we'll say success in kind of a measured way. The fact that the Jets are going to play hockey games in the next nine months is pretty much entirely due to the performance of Connor Hellebuck. And I think that that's something that you can say, you know, just as a gut feeling, you know, it, it seems right. But then when you get into the stats, uh, you know, the way that I kind of broke it down is taking the wins above replacement that Hellebuck contributed to the Jets uh, and then comparing it to the total team wins above replacement. Uh, and I kind of did that for every player who was uh, on a team that made kind of the play-in rounds. So, you know, the players who would really be realistically up for the Hart Trophy. And uh, and Hellebuck finished in first by a pretty decent margin in terms of the percentage of his team's wins above replacement that he contributed to. So, honestly, I think any way that you look at this trophy other than, you know, just looking at the points leaders page at NHL.com, I think all roads lead to Hellebuck for me. So, you have my endorsement on that one. Yeah, but sorting the NHL stash page by points is so much easier. That is true. That is true. It is pretty tempting. And when you have a guy who led the league in scoring by the margin that dry settled it, I think people start to get a little bit defensive when you, you know, no pun intended, people start to get defensive <laughs> uh, when you start to kind of challenge the points a little bit. But yeah, I think, I think Hellebuck's pretty open and shot. And but we, we have a trophy for points. Yeah. There is a totally yeah. separate award for that. Well, I mean, that's the thing. And, you know, I'm not going to get into it in too much detail just because it's been kind of ruining my brain and also probably a lot of parts of Twitter for the past couple of days. But, you know, the thing is, points, when you get down to it, it's just a proxy for offense. You know, nobody's saying that X player is this much better than, you know, this player because of their secondary assists. You know, we value points because we think that points are a decent representation of how a player contributed on offense. And so when you have other stats that are maybe a little bit more holistic that are saying that other players who might not have the same number of points have actually been more impactful at the things that we really value in offense, which doesn't always include, you know, just arbitrary, you know, he made a pass to some guy who made a pass to some guy who got the puck in the net, you know, Leon Dreisaitl doesn't even finish first in that category. Uh, So I think when it comes down to it, the whole points thing, is just an easy thing to point at. And I think it's, it's obviously a reflex that a lot of people have because these are new conversations that haven't been happening in the past. So I think for a lot of people, they're saying, you know, especially Oilers fans, you know, who are, who are maybe being a little bit touchy because they think that, you know, there's some big conspiracy trying to rob their guy of a trophy that he deserves are saying, you know, Hey, three years ago, we weren't having this conversation. And the reason we weren't having this conversation is I think that, people have made a lot of strides in terms of their curiosity and new ways to evaluate hockey. And I think that this Hart Trophy conversation is a pretty good sign of that. I mean, like in all fairness, this is pretty much all the Oilers have had, you know, to root for since pretty much ever. So they got a play in series. What more do you want, Brennan? Yeah. As as a Penguins fan, I value the play in series and and I'm very happy that my team didn't, my, my team finished seventh in the NHL instead of sixth in the NHL and therefore have to play a series where, you know, if they just fluke their way into three losses, they miss the playoffs for the first time since 2006. 
I would have thought as as a Penguins fan, you would have not liked the play in because now you have to play Montreal, who was absolutely not well. They weren't bad, but they couldn't win games, from what I can tell. Um, and it's probably anyway, the best way to sum up Montreal. Honestly. They weren't bad, but they couldn't win games. Um, but by results, should be nowhere near the playoffs. And now you have to win a best best of five series against them. Oh yeah, pure, pure sarcasm on my part. I'm not oh, okay. very happy about uh, about the fact that my you know I, I'm happy that I get to watch hockey to watch the Penguins play a little bit earlier than I would otherwise. But you know I, I'm not going to get into this in too much detail because it's a Jets podcast. But there are definitely in in the same way that there are definitely roots for the Jets to win that first round series against the against the Flames. There are absolutely ways that the Penguins could totally blow that series against the Canadians. So. Don't yeah. feel too bad about talking about your team too much because Brendan grew up. We mentioned this like every podcast that we do on this show. Uh, Brendan grew up a Sharks fan. I grew up a Flyers fan. Uh, and we talk, we make comparisons to our teams all the time. We, we kind of right. use our own teams to make sense of the Jets a lot, I think. So. Well, I, I definitely can't use the sense of uh, the Jets goaltending this year, but I'll do my best otherwise. <laughs> so here's here's an honest question for me that I've kind of been thinking about a lot lately: is that are the Jets like maybe one of, or is, could they be one of the worst playoff teams in recent memory? Because I don't know if I've ever seen a playoff team with numbers as awful as the Jets. Man. I would I would have to be able to dig deeply into it, but just off the top of my head, and you know, just, just thinking of kind of the way that the Jets have managed to do this, because I mean, especially in terms of just their underlying numbers, like this is the worst expected goals for percentage team in the league, and it's a league that has the, the Detroit Red Wings in it, so that automatically gives you a huge red flag. But basically, like the Jets have managed to luck their way into the playoffs to an extent that I don't, would not have previously thought imaginable. Like they have done it in absolutely just the wrong possible way. Like they they have the best goalie in the league in terms of performance above expected. They have, you know, top 10 shooting percentage in the NHL, which is obviously something that is typically something that you expect to regress over time. They have a top 10 power play. So, you know, that that is pretty much the, the cheating route to playoff contention as far as you could ever find it. So... Yeah, I would say yeah. that it is. It would not blow my mind if the Jets are the worst playoff team. It, as, you know, let's say they win this series. You know, of the past, of the analytics era, let's say, would not surprise me at all. Yeah, like so to I, me, I think like I think you're lucky if you make the playoffs, even if you're if you're like slightly below fifty percent, like if you're like 49 percent when it comes to expected goals for percentage. I think you're you're pretty lucky to make the playoffs. When you're at 43 and a half, yeah. that's just, yeah, you're right. It's, it's not even cheating. It's like beyond cheating when it comes to making the playoffs. Well, I mean, like they outplayed their opponent 25% of the time, which was, which was last, which was again behind the Detroit Red Wings. Like the idea that you, you could find yourself in the first round of the playoffs after being outplayed 75% of the time is, you know, like in my in my beer league that has like ten teams and eight playoff spots, I could see it. But in a team where or in a league where about half the teams make the playoffs, it's pretty nuts. So 
Yeah. I mean, you know. I'm sure one of those games that the Jets were outplayed, I'm sure that one of them was also the Red Wings. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me at all with this team, but it's just, it's, it's a surprise for me because, you know, I mean, I'm sure all Jets fans remember, you know, that hockey news cover that said that that declared them the 2019 Stanley cup champions. And, you know, the, the back in like 2014 or 2015 or whatever, when they were kind of starting to build up that prospect pool. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's what everybody thought. Like everybody kind of thought this was going to be one of those teams that just stays good for like a decade because all their best players were, were pretty young. They had the, the stud blue chip goalie coming in, you know, they had seemingly hit on all those top 10 draft picks. And and now here we are talking about how they basically stumbled ass backwards into a playoff spot. Well, speaking of that, um, I was looking at uh, your wins above replacement roster generator for uh, the 2017, 18 team. Yeah. And uh, highly recommend looking at it. Uh, But so I'm, I'm looking at it, and obviously this is after the trade deadline when they acquired Paul Stastny, but uh, you basically estimated their roster to be worth 116 standings points. Uh, yeah, if I'm that's, misinterpreting that's that. Assuming, but. Yeah, yeah, so that's, that's assuming that everybody in the post-trade deadline roster played a full 82-game season, totally yeah. healthy. So like yeah. that's kind of theoretically like the ceiling for how that team would do in – great circumstances which would put it as kind of one of the best teams of the past 13 years or so right so then how did we get from there to now in your eyes um okay so i i think that a lot of the hints of what happened can come from looking at that roster and seeing how certain players have trended since then because I like I, I honestly believe like I think a, it's very Berkshire, easy to uh, yes, but not not at first at least. Okay. Uh, I think that it's easy for people to say the Jets lost Truba, the Jets lost the the Jets lost Bufflin, the Jets lost Myers, the Jets lost Sherratt. You know they had to build this new defense from scratch out of a bunch of young players. No wonder they did that, and no wonder Connor Hellbuck had the workload that he did. And they pretty much called the day with that because the team still scores a decent number of goals. The team's still pretty good on the power play. Blake Wheeler scores, you know, 150 empty net points per season, and you know that's an easy narrative to write. But the the thing is that I like honestly, I do not think the problem with the Jets is the players that they lost. Like I think that that's a misrepresentation that ignores the fact that the players that they lost weren't very good like you know tyler myers obviously not an an analytical darling by any means you know exactly the kind of guy that you let walk in free agency dustin he's a a defenseman and he's big that is and i believe he's right-handed which i think adds more value in hockey he's he's right-handed he can shoot the puck hard uh, one thing I've always kind of thought about Tyler Myers, this is a totally separate point, but I feel like he gets a lot of credit for being tall, but like, like his neck is like a foot and a half. <laughs> like what extra hockey are you really providing just like with like a tall neck? Like, I feel like you should just measure from the shoulders down if you're going to really get a sense of how effectively tall somebody is. Guy, guys anyway. like Tyler Myers are uh, pretty much the inspiration behind the name of this podcast in the first yeah, place. Yeah. Ty- so, so- yeah, so grit per sixty is both part of our um, affinity towards hockey analytics and also a jab at the 
idea of a gritty player. Now, you can have some very good gritty hockey players, but a lot of times oh, yeah. players that are labeled as gritty just aren't very good. Yeah, I think that that's, that's one misapprehension a lot of people get about analytics, uh, and it's just because I think of the way that they just assume that we all just value, you know, pretty skilled players who are all kind of Swedish or Finnish and don't actually do anything defensively but, and just control all the I, time. We do but love that, the killers. Well, like, that pretty is pretty much true. is who you yeah. described. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, aside from the Nick Ehlers, you know, like like Patrick Hornfist is one of the best analytical players of the decade. You know, Joe Pavelski as well. You know, the guys who forecheck like motherfuckers. I don't know. <laughs> sure on here, people nah, who fine. people who forecheck very hard uh, are 100% valued by analytics. The guys who get the crap beat out of them in front of the net, those are often guys who rack up expected goals and drive play because that's one of the great ways that you get scoring chances. You know, I think people just isolate on some people, you know, who analytics tend to like, who they don't necessarily think of as being gritty players and ignore the fact that there are plenty of hard-nosed players that get the job done in an actually effective way instead of just wasting their time getting out of position for hits or blocking shots or mm -hmm. having useless battles in front of the net where the puck goes off the side of their head. And, but So for uh, me, for me, yeah. good gritty player would be like peak Wayne Simmons. Uh, bad gritty player would be like... Um, current, current Wayne Simmons. Well, but he, that's just... That's because he's old. I'm not going to pick on old Wayne Simmons. He's... Um, <laughs> Bad gritty would be like Tyler Myers, or if we're going to make this Jets focused, uh, Dmitry Kulikov. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, a guy who kind of plays physical, but like, and that's the only thing that you can really point to that they provide. You know, they say, you know, he's, look, the analytics don't like him, but boy, does he bring physicality out there on the ice. And, yes. you know, physicality and, is just a completely intangible thing so and when we're talking about kulikov he has a veteran presence so that adds a yeah. little bit to the grit factor yeah i mean that's the thing is when you have a guy who is just demonstrably bad in everything that you can measure you have to lean on the stuff that you can't measure and the stuff that you can't measure is usually nonsense but getting back to how the jets yes, got yes. here from 2017-18 uh oh. So I think, the, so yes, so the issue is not who they lost. It's the fact that the guys who they didn't lose have gotten worse. And I think that that's the big issue. And I mean, obviously you can point to, the, you know, the guys who replaced the guys they lost haven't been particularly good either in a lot of cases. But the main point for me is, you know, I, I think a perfect example of this, you said Mark Scheifele earlier. I think Josh Morrissey is the perfect example. Like Morrissey is the guy who a couple of years ago, profiled as kind of an ideal top pairing defensive defenseman, you know, who, who brought a little bit of offense, but he wasn't quite known for it. But, you know, he was pretty effective in that sense. And I think people kind of profiled him as being like the steady top pairing defenseman of the future for the Jets. Phil Lynchman. I mean, people are still projecting him as a team Canada 2022, like top pairing left-handed defenseman, because I think they just kind of assume that that's still the case. But if you look at the stats with Josh Morrissey, he has pretty much declined in a total, totally linear sense to the point where now he's below replacement level, which, I mean, you know, would you have ever said in 2017 that in two years, Josh Morrissey is going to be a below uh, replacement level player? You would get laughed out of the room, and yet that's what's happening. 
It's a good thing they didn't sign Morrissey to a big extension or anything lately. So yeah, no, thank God that would have been real embarrassing. Yeah, that, would have, I, that would have been really bad. You know, I well, with Josh Morrissey, I find it hard to, and maybe it's because I'm not super into like Brendan's much more analytically minded than than I am. Um, but I find it hard to really uh, find the right value as far as how good, like I find it hard to evaluate him because they don't have a very good um, pairing to put with him. It's it's okay. him and then some guys. And it's like, no matter who you put with him, he's, I, I just. So, so I, I, this is the, this is the silver lining with the jets. The silver lining is that you would, you know, what you always have to remember is that analytics measure performance. They don't measure skill. So the, the fact of the matter is that Morrissey has been performing worse and worse every season since 2017-18. What it doesn't mean is that Josh Morrissey will never be a good NHL defenseman again. I mean, he's still 25 years old, right? Like, he's still yeah. relatively young. We saw him play at a very, you know, at a very excellent uh, performance level when he was 22. Uh, the silver lining for the Jets is that, you know, you, you have to hope that these guys didn't just forget how to play hockey. Like, they, there clearly is a lot of skill in this lineup that is obviously not being channeled properly, whether it's due to being deployed uh, suboptimally, you know, whether it's, you know, with being, being paired with the wrong people, being put in roles that are too high, or, or, or whether it's things like coaching, you know, whether the system isn't using them properly, and, and that would kind of go into the whole issues that their forward group has had defensively in the past couple of years. Uh, you know, that, that's the silver lining for the Jets, is that you can see a way that this team puts it together again. Yeah. And that they could pull themselves out. Yep. Obviously, things look pretty grim right now, but they, like they, they have the bodies. And the toughest part is getting the bodies, like getting your Ehlers and your Shifley's and your, you know, even your, your line A's, you know, getting them in place is a lot harder than figuring out how to get them to work again. So I think that's the biggest thing for the Jets, especially so, on defense. My, my last question, this is something that <clears throat> even as – I, you know, I, I, we, I've been covering this team all season. One of the things I keep trying to figure out is they've got all this top line, this top six talent. They, we keep hearing about all these names that are high profile, you know, Mark Shifley, Blake Wheeler, uh, Nick Ellers, Patrick Line, Kyle Connor, all of this top end talent. And yet it's not showing up in the expected goals. It's showing up a little bit in some of the goals that they're scoring, but it's, not yeah. showing up in a lot of the analytics and I can't figure out why it seems like they've got these big high profile pieces that should be performing better than they are. I can't, it doesn't work for me mentally. I just, that's something I've been wrestling with. I don't know if this is an actual question that's forming because um, Brennan can tell you I'm bad with my words, but do you have anything to mention regarding what what is this top six? Yeah, I, I mean it's tough. I think a a big thing for me is that I feel like the decline of Blake Wheeler is something that a lot of people don't talk about, just because it it just contradicts so clearly with the point totals. And I think the point totals are usually what people turn to either because you know it's an eye test thing where their eye test actually is the point totals, or you know when you're watching a game and a guy's you know, when a guy's on the ice, the team's scoring a bunch of goals, you tend to 
get a sense that he's doing really well. But his his even strength play particularly has really declined. You know, it was at its height back in, you know, 14, 15, like kind of when this franchise was really starting to take shape. It was pretty steady and then it kind of started to dip. And then, you know, at this point, you know, just in time for him to sign that huge new contract, you know, he's not hovering too far above replacement level, particularly at even strength. And that's obviously a pretty huge problem for the Jets because I feel like if I had to guess, they probably run a decent amount of their offense through Wheeler because of his his passing ability. But the results are occasionally coming just because there's so much scoring talent on that line uh, because he's he has skills that are suited to certain situations that he plays in. Like I think the power play is a good example. Uh, he's one of the best players in the league with the, with the net empty, I think, presumably because he's, he's fast. He probably has decent instincts in that situation. Uh, and and I, I, as far as I can remember, I'm pretty sure he's pretty strong in even strength non-five-on-five five situations, like four-on-four four or three-on-three. Three. Again, because those are situations that are well-suited to a guy who is fast and can pass the puck pretty well. But in terms of his ability to drive even strength offense, that's totally fallen off. Uh, and then I think when it comes to Connor and Shifley, you know, their defensive numbers have obviously completely submarined the past couple of years to the point that each of them were two of, I think, the bottom bottom five or bottom six forwards in the NHL this year in terms of their even strength goals above replacement, you know, in, in the negative category. You know, they were right down there with, with your Patrick Canes and your Capo Cacos and and, you know, guys guys who are you don't want to be mentioned about when you're talking about defensive play. And I think it's a little surprising because, especially for Shifley, you know, the, the story around Shifley is always that he's this huge scholar of the game. And I think that, you know, it's, it's kind of easy to ignore the fact that the results really just have not been there the past couple of years for him. So that might be a coaching thing, you know, that might be just as uh, the way that he's playing. I haven't had the chance to dive too deeply into it. I, I, I am kind of doing a thing right now with uh, uh, a guy named uh, Jack Hahn, who's, who used to work in the Maple Leafs front office. He, uh, he was until recently an assistant coach with the Toronto Marlies, where we're kind of trying to bring together the eye test and, uh, and analytics where I would kind of write an article about a player's analytics. And then he would go through game tape and kind of do traditional scouting reports to figure out what the answer is. Uh, and we recently have done one, a uh, kind of a chapter for his, his, his next book that's coming out on the Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl thing, because that's kind oh, of goodness. a similar situation. Obviously, uh, Shifley is not Connor McDavid in terms of offense, but there's there's a lot of parallels in terms of the defensive play, that well, the lack of defensive play that each bring to the table. And at least in the case of, of Dreisaitl and McDavid, a lot of it is just a matter of just not putting the work in and a big part of defense is putting the work in. And if, if these guys are kind of getting away with not playing hard in, in the defensive zone, either because, you know, Paul Maurice at this point, isn't going to be running as captain and assistant captain over the coals for their defensive play, you know, or because so much of the attention is on the, the line A's defense, lack of defensive play that these guys just kind of go under the radar, then that could explain part of it. But I think a, a huge part of getting this team back, back, focused is fixing whatever the hell is going on with that top six defensively because once you tidy things up defensively a little bit it does open you up offensively you know it's a it's a bit of a cliche and it's often considered you know some people kind of think it to be like an anti-analytics thing to say that the best offense is a good defense 
but in this case, you know, if you're spending less time in your defensive zone, you will probably be spending more time in the offensive zone. You know, you will have those opportunities to to create offense that's not just based on counterattacks and the rush. So I would point to that as, as a potential way out of this issue. See, that was kind of the thing that was bothering me for a lot of the year was that for whatever reason, they use uh, Connor, Line A, and Shifley all in the same line, and it, it, it never worked. And yet they continued to stick with that line. Well, they for... scored points. It didn't play defense. Right. They Those three have some of the worst defensive numbers maybe I've ever seen. And yeah, no, great. it's just like, I don't know, even like the thought process of being like, let's take our three, probably our three worst defensive players and just stick them all in the same line together. Like what could possibly go wrong? And then when it does go wrong because they got shelled all the time and, you know, because you put that line and you combine them with Winnipeg's, defenseman which the less said the better it's just like I don't know why you would have thought that would have worked in the first place and then why didn't you change that when it didn't work well I I do kind of wonder whether whether there is an acknowledgement within the Jets coaching staff or their organization that Shifley or Connor might be a problem in terms of defense, because I feel like it's easy to use lining as kind of a lightning rod. It's easy to take a look at, obviously, the defense, which isn't exactly studded with, you know, big-name players, and say that they're the problem. And so, you know, I wonder whether that might be where some of the gaps come from, where, you know, Mark Shifley has such a sterling reputation in terms of his overall play and, and his leadership on that team that it might be a thing where they're just turning a blind eye to his, his problems there. Um, another issue I think that's pretty easy to point at is is the depth because that was really where the Jets were totally dominant was in their depth. I mean, like I don't think I, I I'm not sure I can think of a team that had more forward depth than that 2017-18 Jets team. Kind of a situation like the Penguins do, where they would just bring in these random no-name guys from from Manitoba. And it would just turn out that they were, you know, like you, you had never heard of Andrew Kopp before, Brandon Tanev, or Joel Armia, or, you know, or even Adam Lowry. And suddenly they're coming up and they're putting up brilliant numbers. And I think Lowry and uh, Mathieu Perrault are, are two examples of guys who used to be just absolutely brilliant analytical players uh, who really struggled this year, from what I can tell. Uh, and, or at least the, their their underlying numbers really took a hit. And I think once you lose those kind of tentpole players in your bottom six, you end up in a bit of a problem filling in those gaps, and, and you end up kind of losing more shifts than you're used to, and things might start to submarine a little bit there. So I, I have heard some grumpy Jets fans tell me that there were some injuries, injury issues with those players and maybe a couple of, of other guys in the bottom six, and they say that, these are things that have, or that will be resolved once uh, once the break ends. But you know, it's, it's certainly this team is more shallow than it was back in 2017. Right, and I think also another one of the problem spots is that second line center position, which has mostly just kind of been a revolving door for I guess a long time now. Because I mean, even 2017-18, yeah. it was what Brian Little for a while, and then they acquired Peter or Paul Stassi because they knew that they needed to address that. 
Yeah. And then uh, maybe this is a little bit of hindsight bias, but maybe this whole thing started because Stastny ended up going to Vegas and then, you know, they didn't really do a whole lot to, to fill that gap again. And then last they year at the deadline, for- they bring Kevin Hayes yeah. and, you know, some, yeah. you know, uh, some mixed reaction to, to Kevin Hayes during, right. during his time in Winnipeg. Um, I haven't studied it, too, studied it too closely, but I would I would definitely take him over Cody Eakin. I'll tell yes, you that. Yes, I was gonna say. Like that, one thing like, I know for sure is Cody Eakin <laughs> is not the answer. Yeah. Okay, Cody. then you're really gonna hate acquiring Cody Eakin and then putting him on the same line as Nick Ellers and Patrick Line. Yeah, that's that's the the line that I because like I'm I'm kind of putting together my my series preview, and part of that involves kind of doing a line by line head-to-head comparison, uh, which we could chat about if you want to in a little bit. But the uh, but right now I do have Egan between Ehlers and Line A, and as you can imagine, that's oh. not an ideal situation for anybody. But yeah, I, I, I will say, you know, Peter, uh, damn, I did it too. Paul Stastny is, you know, as, as far as guys who you could acquire to be your second-line center, you, you really can't go wrong with having Paul Stastny in that spot, and I think Vegas is reaping the benefits of that right now. Kevin Hayes, you know, I have my issues with him. Uh, I think his his analytical profile differs quite a bit from what Flyers fans think of his performance. But if you if if you had if you had to pick a guy who was the absolute last player in the entire world that you would want to be your second line center between two dynamic and talented wingers, I'm pretty sure Cody Eakin would be would be my pick. That is a disaster waiting to happen. May I suggest Chris Stewart? Well, okay, I, 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 I'm kind of living in the world of like guys who you could feasibly hear see AGM talking themselves into. Okay, I don't think then Yori Laterra. I think we're a couple of years too late on Yori Laterra. Plus, he he committed the cardinal sin of doing drugs as an NHL player, which we know that nobody else has ever done before. So <laughs> he's he's out of there. But yeah, no, I mean like that's a that's a catastrophe. That's you know if if you're yeah. if you're it, it, it's it's bizarre because if you look at what the Jets did at the deadline, they made one brilliant move that I think any analytics user would have recommended that any team do, and then they made exactly the decision that anybody with access to a computer would tell you was a terrible idea. <laughs> like, on, like on on one hand, like Dylan Demello, like I, you know, I, I I said it in my in my kind of rundown of 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 this team, like specifically their defense, but like Dylan DeMello had the Winnipeg Jets second best uh, expected wins above replacement on defense this year. Like he was their second best defenseman and he did it in 10 games. Like this is comparing him to players who played the entire season for the Winnipeg Jets. Like in just 10 games, DeMello had like a 0.5 wins above replacement or something like that. And that was the second highest total on the Jets this season. Like that was like Dylan DeMello is the kind of guy that you bring onto your blue line for cheap if you are a very smart organization that has very good talent evaluation and a strong data department. Now, it wouldn't surprise me if the Jets just completely stumbled ass backwards into acquiring him because, you know, they watched a game where he blocked a shot or something. But either way, you know, my full credit to them for bringing him in. And uh, right now I have him as being paired on the top pair with Josh Morrissey uh, based on their last couple games before the hiatus. Hopefully, for the Jets' sake, that's what they decide to do. Um, and then on the other hand, they get Cody Eakin, who the only thing that I could possibly 
thing about being positive for him is that he's from Winnipeg. So he, I guess, has been able to probably stay in the city during this quarantine situation. So maybe he's super comfortable there right now. Other than that, I can't think of any other reason that you would want Cody Eakin to be on your lineup at all, let alone your second line center. Well, he's got a lot of good old Canadian boy points. Plus, he also picks up penalties in clutch moments. So, yeah, no, that is that is a very valuable thing. But you know, if you wanted that, like, why trade Evander Kane in the first place? Yeah, no, just. Uh, all right. Uh, what else did I have in mind? Yeah, so we can we can talk a little bit about um, how you feel about the Jets Flames playoff series. Or not quite playoff yeah. series, play in series. The play in series. Yeah, very important that you specify that as the play in, just so that you leave open the possibility that playing Jack Johnson on the first pair for a full month might have cost the Penguins the longest playoff streak in the in the NHL. So you yeah, have to you, be very specific about calling it a play in series. Not the, playoffs. The, the Penguins were probably better off paying the the good Jack Johnson the. Banana pancakes, Jack Johnson. Uh, what three and a quarter for the next five years? Yeah, I mean, you know, to be fair, hockey Jack Johnson fair. probably needs the money a lot more than uh, a lot more than acoustic guitar Jack Johnson does. That's fair. But nonetheless, it would have been more entertaining to watch. At least it would have given the Penguins a pretty boring goal song. <laughs> Bore. I thought that be that would be fun. That would just Sorry. Everybody just, else is going crazy or partying, and then the penguins are just there with banana pancakes. Yeah, just like a like one of those like mid two thousands like fedoras that acoustic guitar guys used to wear. Perfect. I think that would be very relaxing. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm happy to talk about the uh, about the the playing series here. It's. Uh, you know, the thing is with these play-in series that it's, in a five-game series, literally anybody could win. Like, theoretically, like, the Detroit Red Wings could win one of these playoff series if they were in them, you know, well, especially if it was against the Habs. But in general, anything can happen in a five-game series. Any goalie can get hot. You know, you, you have a power player, a penalty kill can get hot, and suddenly things are totally different. So there's definitely a route for the Jets to win this series. And there's even one that's not just kind of specific to goaltending, but I would say they're still pretty decisively the underdog here. And I don't think that that's too controversial to say. I think I would pick the Jets to win this series. Um, Just solely on Connor Hellebuck. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's totally fair. I mean, he was, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because you compare him, you know, I have him kind of compared head to head with, uh, with Riddick, you know, he's un- like Hellebuck is undoubtedly the better, uh, the better goaltender overall, and he's he's much better at five on five. Like like you know, just to put it in perspective, like talking about Riddick, like Riddick in in total this season was the 18th best starting goalie in the league. You know, Connor Hellebuck was obviously number one. Uh, the only advantages that that Riddick really has is that he's a little bit better on the penalty kill, ah. and and he has uh, well, an interesting thing about Hellebuck actually is that Hellebuck's rebound control is not very good. He actually ranks in the bottom, the bottom six of uh, NHL starters in terms of his rebound control, which, you know, I guess on a, on a team like the Jets who 
don't exactly seem to have the bodies to get rid of rebounds pretty quickly. I could see that sometimes being an issue, but clearly didn't hurt him too much this year. But yeah, obviously in terms of goaltending, the Jets have a huge advantage. But I think especially, you know, we already kind of talked about the whole play driving thing in terms of like their expected goals numbers and, and things like that. The Jets have basically, like it's actually kind of hilarious looking at their, at how their expected goals for numbers compared to their goals for numbers because they have just been kind of just steadily bad over the course of the year with like a couple small dips yep. in terms of play driving. And then in terms of goals for, it's just a complete, you know, like there was a point in November where they were, I think something like maybe 42% uh, expected goals for percentage that month. And they were over 60% goals for percentage, just purely on the strength of the shots are going in and Connor Hellebuck's playing out of his mind. So you really never know with this team, what the hell you're going to get in terms of what's actually going into either net. But obviously the flames have a pretty decisive advantage there. Um, one thing that is kind of interesting though, just kind of, I, I'm kind of looking at, at how these teams stack up in terms of like their forward and defensive lineups. So one thing that's actually kind of a, an interesting parallel is that the flames have had similar issues with the way that their top six has trended as the jets have had. Uh, but in kind of a different way. Like the issue for the Jets, obviously, is defense, as we talked about. The big issue for the Flames is that their offense has just completely vanished from guys like Gaudreau and Monaghan this year, uh, which obviously, you know, I, I will say it is more important that your top line be generating shots and scoring goals than it is that they are playing well defensively. So that might actually be something of a point of advantage for the Jets, possibly. Um, cool. But I, I will say the the Flames do have a much better second line. Like I would watch out for that uh, Kachuk, Backlund, and God, Mangia Payne, Mangia Nobody yeah. ever talks about him, so I don't know how he passed. But whoever he is, he's really good. Yeah. See, this is what I get for being he's, in Eastern Time Zone. I have no idea. I, I think I talked to – when did I – I mentioned Mangiapane. I think it was last season, Brendan, on one of our podcasts. Yeah, yeah. He was one of, my, one of my guys to watch for that playoff series that did not go well for the Flames. Well, either way, well, let's just say that you said that he was the guy to watch for this season because in that okay. case he would have turned out looking yeah. pretty good. I mean, analytics um, is really just finding players you've never heard of and finding out that they're actually really good. Yeah, I mean that's also part of like just being the Pittsburgh Penguins is having Stan Lafferty get called up and then play super well and then you just don't have space for him. Uh, I will say another area that the Jets do have the Flames covered is the Flames four line is really bad. So yeah. like it's it's guys who kind of look like they're okay. Like it's like you know Sam Bennett, Mark Jankowski, and Tobias Reeder. But overall, what you're getting from those guys is not so good compared to even a mediocre uh, Perot, uh Shore Appleton unit. So, so this this season I have gone from I don't have the energy to care about guys that play seven minutes a night to I love this Jets fourth line because they're really not going to score points and they're not going to put up too many chances, but they will just pin you in the Jets attacking zone for a minute or so by their – their team some time but and get some fresh legs on and your the opposing team will not be able to move the puck 
for that yeah. minute and a half or whatever it is. And I just, yeah. it, I don't, if, you know, I guess that's the best purpose for a fourth line if you're not going to score points, but yeah. Yeah. So like, like I, I, I have them like the, so the, the flames fourth line is stronger defensively in terms of, you know, I think Jankowski especially is a guy who, who will never score goals, you know, will never generate anything really in that regard, but who is very strong defensively. Whereas the jets, I think are not really so great defensively in that fourth line. I mean, they're not hmm. great defensively anywhere in particular, but uh, something that I think is a point of interest before we start talking about the defense is that on both the 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 forwards and the defensemen, uh, I kind of have things broken down line by line so you can see kind of which team has the better line one, for instance, in terms of even strength offense, even strength defense, shooting, uh, like finishing talent, and then total wins above replacement. Uh, First of all, up and down the lineup, the Flames have the wins of replacement advantage for every single line and defensive pairing except for the fourth line. So you, you better really like that fourth line because that's going to be uh, you're going to be hanging your hat on on them. Uh, but one one thing that is interesting is that the Jets actually have the finishing talent advantage on every single line and every single defensive pairing. And this is and this isn't just kind of for this year; it's weighted for the past three years. So, you know, not so bad. The one thing I really love about this Winnipeg Jets team is that anytime you preview another team, like the Jets are at such extremes in so many different areas that your preview for each team is still going to be dependent on the Jets' different – like yes. it's still going to be dependent on, okay, the Jets' defense is terrible. Uh, it's going to be – you know, their expected goals on both ends are going to be nowhere near where this other team is but they can still score more in the shooting talent is there. And we have Connor Hellebuck. It's just like the previews are the same because the jets are so extreme in different areas. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is going to be, this is going to be a really weird one to write. Like I haven't actually started writing it up, but yeah. So far things are, are looking very weird. I will say, you know, I think it's about time that I say something nice about the jets. Yes. Uh, in terms of how things are trending, uh, they do have one positive trend which is their expected goals for numbers have improved over the course of the season. Like they were decidedly below average all the way through, like all the way through January. And then in February, they were kind of just below average. And then in March, they were actually above average. So, you know, not exactly something you're going to like hang a championship banner over, but at least you could theoretically say that once this team got healthy and got slaves under it. It was able to reclaim I'm not gonna say excellence, but just basic competence. Brennan, so that might be something Brennan, to look at. Do you know what the Jets started doing in March? Um I, I do not. Why? Well maybe it was the end of February, but they started putting Line A and Ellers on the same line, which is what I've been asking for all season, and look at that, their numbers start improving. Am I a genius or am I a there genius? You yeah. There you we're go. Just, you're we're just you're like, really lucky that I don't. No, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I was going say, just like my, my one like last note on this is that I feel like talking about this series is hard because I don't really know if anyone has an opinion on the Calgary Flames. Like, to me, they're just kind of there. 
they yeah, have like this, this is... nice rivalry with the with the Oilers. Like it's really intense yeah. and it's great and all. It's musty TV. And then I just don't care about the Flames the rest of the season. Yeah, I, I will say at this point, it's it's very difficult to imagine the Flames being anything better. Like being anything, having a ceiling that's higher than being like a second round exit. Like I, you know, they have theoretically some top end talent. Like, you know, obviously Johnny Gaudreau, we all know what he's capable of. Matthew Kachuk is the same way. Mark Giordano, I mean, the, the thing about Giordano, though, is that, you know, he he obviously had that Norris season last year, and he was mm-hmm. he was very good in that season. He was just not nearly as good this year. And and I think that's that's a, a big part of, you know, when you have a defenseman who the whole, you know, who the whole team runs through, and you're used to having him in a Norris caliber, and he comes back the next season, and he's, you know, just kind of competent, then I think things start to kind of, you know, sparks start to fly all over the rest of the lineup. Things start to fall apart, and you end up with the situation that they do now. I will say, you know, there are definitely good spots on the Flames. Like, like I said, that second line is is excellent. Like, they're they're certainly above average, uh, and they do have some pretty high quality pieces on defense. Uh, even just aside, you know, leaving aside March Giordano, um, like like their their defense. Their defense offensively, which I, I I am so sick of the words offensively and defensively because I always have to use them like 600 times in every single article I write. Uh, their defense is offensively very strong. They're actually not that great defensively, even though they have some names that I think have a reputation for it. Like, I, I'm I, again, I'm kind of looking at the pair-by-pair breakdown here. Uh like a Morrissey DeMello pairing is actually projected to be better offensively than the Giordano Rasmus Anderson pairing. Uh, it's, it's supposed to be worse defensively, but, but wow. still that's something. And then I think once, as you start to get further down the lineup, like the, the flames do have an advantage. Uh, obviously, you know, it's kind of, it's not difficult to see how a TJ Brody, Travis Hamannick pairing might have a bit of an edge on Kulikov and Neil Pionk. But I will say that, there are some guys on the Flames who have a reputation for defense that isn't quite earned. Uh, Hamannick being the main one. I feel like in a lot of kind of mainstream previews you're going to read of this series, once we get a bit closer to the fact, you're going to talk about Hamannick as a big shutdown guy. But he's actually, he's one of those guys who the reputation is just totally not founded in the way he plays. Like his his defensive game is pretty poor. Uh, that, that unit is going to be pretty porous. And I think the Jets are going to be able to attack it pretty well. And the same thing goes for... Noah Hannafin and uh, Eric Gustafson, the guy they acquired from the Blackhawks earlier. Like Gustafson is one of the worst defensive defensemen in the NHL. He's very offensively talented, even though it didn't fully translate this year. But, you know, the Flames definitely have the kinds of holes in their, in their, in their defense's defense that a team with the talent of the Jets could theoretically, if they were able to put things together, exploit. The main issue for the Jets is just that their defense is just so threadbare. It's kind of difficult yeah. to see where exactly that offense is coming from. You know, like like in terms of their projected expected wins above replacement, just as a pairing, you know, we're talking about, you know, Morrissey DeMello is just, you know, kind of total 1.6 over an 82-game season. Kulikov and Pionk just barely, you know, 0.1, and then Beaulieu and uh, Pullman is 0.2. 
Like this is, you know, not exactly encouraging stuff for a team that's trying to make noise in the playoff series. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough. It's going to be one of those series where the Jets are going to have to, you know, the bounces have gotten them this far. Theoretically, there's no reason that they couldn't keep that going. But it's going to be tough. But I, w- I was told by a scout in the Athletic that the Jets have shutdown guys. Yeah, that is true. And you know what? I, uh, you know, I got to just stop looking at my spreadsheets. and You just got to watch the game. And trust the scouts. I got to, tr- yeah. You know, I, I, well, I will ask. If you had to name the shutdown guys in the Winnipeg Jazz as people who actually watch their games, you know, who do you think, who would you speculate that that scout was talking about? I have, I have no idea. Kulikov? My gut would be Morrissey, but it's just like. I, I would assume that Morrissey would be one of the guys they'd now, be talking about. A lot of times we, people might be talking about shutdown forwards, in which case I would throw Andrew Kopp in the mix. Kopp would actually make sense, but like. Andrew Cobb makes, is, that makes sense too much for me to think that that was who one of these guys was talking about. Yeah. Any anytime these guys say, "Oh yeah, a shutdown forward," I feel like it's never actually the guys who are like the smart pick for who a shutdown forward is. It's always going to be. I'll throw you know, this name up in in the mix there too. I mean, this is clearly not who he's talking about, but Nick Ellers usually has by Jet standards. So take that with as you would by Jet standards, some of the better expected goals against numbers from what I've seen, at least maybe I'm wrong um, for jets forwards. But I think a lot of that is because he moves the puck well. And so his team is currently usually in possession, but I don't know if I call him a shutdown forward. Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, you know, shutdown obviously has some connotations with it. Like, and that's the thing that is, you know, the reason that you can't always just fully rely on kind of the macro level, numbers in terms of if you're trying to talk about how a player plays because you know like you can talk about Nick Ellers who as far as what I can recall tends to have pretty decent defensive numbers or at least pretty competent ones uh yeah you know I just brought him up right now as 66th percentile over the past three years which is you know fine like for an offensively talented player who's who scores at even strength at the pace that he does you can't yeah. really ask for that much more, especially for a guy who's making six million bucks. Uh, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean they're a shutdown defenseman, but it means that at the end of the day, the thing that defense is, which is protecting your goalie from quality chance against, and you know, hopefully preventing goals from happening, he's doing it. I I don't really care how he's doing it. I just care that he's doing it. But if you're a scout who's being talked to by a guy from the Athletic. Most likely what he's talking about is he saw Josh Morrissey do a poke check in the 2017-18 playoffs. <laughs> and, you know, he, he looked over the roster. He saw Josh Morrissey. He remembered Bob McKenzie saying that he was good defensively and called it a day from there. But uh, My money is still on Kulikov, although I, I could – worst case scenario, I think he's actually talking about Lucas Sabiza. Uh, no, no, he was definitely still thinking that Tyler Myers was still in Winnipeg. Mm, that's got to be the it's answer amazing. Tyler Myers can just do everything he's he's amazing defensively he has a great slap mm-hmm. shot apparently he's a brilliant offensive defenseman it really is wild that he that he only makes six million bucks yeah um so as much as like I could talk about hockey and lakes all day um but I don't think that having a three-hour podcast would be a great idea so I have work um, in the morning 
that, that there's that too. But uh, I'll leave you with this. Um, feel free to, to plug whatever you want. Um, you know, social media, whatever you do, everything, just, you know, let our listeners know where they can find you. Yeah. So I'm, I'm most active on Twitter, especially during this, uh, horrible quarantine. Uh, and my Twitter is at jfreshhockey. I post way too frequently, uh, mostly stuff about hockey analytics, uh, pretty much entirely stuff about hockey at least. Uh, and I've also been doing quite a bit of writing lately, again, mostly on kind of analytic based stuff, but just about kind of hockey in general. So it's been a mix of, I've been running through, uh, the uh, upcoming uh, play-in matchups uh, recently. Uh, we'll be getting into the Jets one pretty soon. Uh, but those are definitely, a, you know, you should check those out if you want to see how certain teams stack up against each other and what should be a pretty interesting play-in series. Uh, also, just some other kind of general things talking about, you know, certain players. Like I had a thing about Marc-Andre Fleury the other day. I talked about Drew Doughty. And, uh, and today I just put something out about kind of the worst players of, of this season. Uh, and then finally, uh, I do have a, a Patreon where if you want to have access to a couple of the kind of exclusive visualizations that I've made, either about players or about goalies or about teams, uh, you can access those there uh, and subscribe there. And that pretty much covers it. Great. I, before you go, I am very interested to know where this – Billy Talent red flag uh, teaser is going. I saw it on Twitter. You posted something about Billy Talent red flag, and I yeah, that I'll, that whole uh, album was a big part of my um, my youth, I guess I would say. Um, okay, so I'm really where it's going. You've already had those those Winnipeggers from the start. That's like a classic, like CanCon. Uh, Canadian content rock band when I was growing up everybody was in the Billy Talent even though they weren't uh, they weren't the biggest thing in the states but they were they were pretty much the biggest band in the world up here in Canada were they um, from Winnipeg I don't I don't think they're from Winnipeg but they are you know it, it, because of the way that Canadian like radio laws and stuff work uh, uh, if you are uh, if you're from Canada like if your band is from Canada you are just going to be played on the radio like constantly here like they legally have to play billy talent on rock radio all the time oh uh, and so it's like so it promoted is, like crazy is canadian radio just like billy talent and the tragically hip well and bare naked ladies oh bare naked ladies yeah bare naked ladies you know and like, uh, people are my super personal like, favorite like, oh, rush fire. yeah rush we, yeah you, you, you get a lot of that stuff um, there's a lot of good Canadian music out there. There are. I will say, there's also a lot of terrible Canadian music. You guys just don't have to listen to it. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're, you're fortunate enough. But for every Billy Talent, there are plenty of Mariana's Trenches and and less uh, less good sounding bands. Um, but the the deal with the red flag thing, I'll hear. I'll give you the the exclusive uh, thing on that. Is I've always been I've always been a big fan of those uh, of the NHL game soundtracks. Yep. And Red, yes. Red Flag was on Halo 6. Uh, and I, you know, I, I have a fond memory of a couple of years ago playing drop-in hockey at my university. And they kind of let us, every week, we'd be able to click connect the, the uh, aux cord. And you could kind of, find a, kind of find the Spotify playlist of the old NHL game soundtracks. And I 
have like a distinct memory of kind of you know it, it being pretty cool having those songs playing but then red flight came and suddenly everybody just like perked up and started going like full uh going full tilt you know on a oh wednesday afternoon dropping game just like, because they remembered that, that song so fun that nhl 6 and, soundtrack is how i found billy talent so this is i will definitely be looking out for whenever you put that out yeah, so so what I'm hoping to do, I've kind of been reading, uh, looking through those, and you know, I, I you can only really, you know, eventually reach your limit on how much you can talk about hockey analytics or especially write about it. So, just kind of as 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 a as as a bit of a palate cleanser, and you know, who knows when it's going to come out. I'm just kind of poking away at it, but hoping to put out something that would review and rank every NHL soundtrack song from 2002 to 2014 which it yeah which might be the most niche thing in the world but at least it will make me happy and hopefully other people might find uh, some nostalgia there on nhl 05 i think there was a very underrated uh sugar cult song on on that soundtrack that i think it's uh memory yeah Yeah, memory yeah, I'll, well, here's spo- spoiler there. That's a that's a four point five out of five right there. That's going to be Ooh. near the top of my list. So, Ooh. Yeah. So it's, right. it, it seems like you're going to have a lot to agree with. All right, last question. I promise, and then I'll wrap things up here. <laughs> this um, is this is how a lot of our episodes go. Yeah. We wrap it up, and then we don't wrap it up. How many? Yeah, no uh, it's it's a two parter. How many Oilers fans have you blocked on Twitter? And second, how many of those fans have Dreisaitl or McDavid in their profile picture? Oh man! Uh, so I've only muted one. You know, I, I'm I'm a man Too of the kind. people. I don't want to cut myself off from people. But there is once like once I get to the point where people start telling me that I'm eternally biased against their team and their city, despite the fact that I'm a Penguins fan and their team has only made the playoffs twice since I started watching hockey. You know, that that's kind of the I, point. I feel where personally I, attacked. Right, where I'm getting hit, you know, by 20 notifications a day of just people bickering in my replies about defense and, and all these kind of, you know, posting articles from the Edmonton journal and everything in my mentions. That's just not something that I need. You get a lot of uh, Jim Matheson in, in your mentions oh, totally or is it more David Staples? I wish. I love Jim Matheson. I would, I would absolutely welcome more Jim Matheson. I, I've kind of long thought that like I have all day for just, you know, if you're kind of an old time hockey writer who just has a purely romantic view of the game with just no proper analysis whatsoever like all you want to do is just think about how like these leaders brought their tenacity and grit to the locker room and you just want to reminisce fondly about like teams from the 1970s and 80s i personally think that that's totally fine especially if you have like a million typos in all your tweets and like you clearly don't know how the website works like that is the (laughs) healthiest kind of hockey journalism in my mind it's the people who kind of you know are a little bit less charming than Jim Matheson that I have more of an issue with. But yeah, I, you know, most of these people don't have Dreisaitl or McDavid in their Twitter pictures or their descriptions, but that's true. Those are uh, usually saved for like the, the official team accounts or something. Yeah. But, but nonetheless, people, people are getting a little bit, there's a combination of viciousness and then also I think a bit of defensiveness that's coming. Like I've seen a lot of people dedicating a lot of time and energy to talking about you know i think it's 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 the dry cycle thing but it's also the calder thing i think a lot of people are taking very personally like the the whole quentin hughes well it's just because it involves the canucks the canucks fans are nuts 
Well, I, I think it, there must be something going on uh, in terms of, you know, these teams have not necessarily had too much success in ways that we would traditionally consider success to happen in hockey. So I feel like these trophies take on a little bit more importance, but, you know, nonetheless, not something that I'm necessarily too too interested in. I don't think I'm going to really change my opinion because of somebody yelling at me, but that's just me. All right. um, Anyway, I'll I'll, I'll do the, the nice the nice answer and say that I appreciate their passion for the sport. And I'm glad that we can all enjoy the beauty of hockey together. That's a great way to put it. Uh, yeah. There you go. Alrighty. Um, so you can find us on Twitter. You can find me at B 727. You can find Connor at TC underscore nine Oh four. You can also find Connor on Instagram at that. I don't know if it's the same handle, but it's the same handle. Yeah. Same handle. Great. Um, you can find the podcast on Facebook and Twitter at Gripper 60 pod, um, and on Instagram that too. Um, and yeah. Um, thank you again for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Had a great time. All right. Um, thanks for listening and have a good one. You're listening to the hockey podcast network on Twitter at hockey pod New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from.